Let's open our Bibles tonight to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're also going to be looking at Isaiah 53. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, you're good. You're good. Pray for our brother. He has cataract surgery coming up, right? Yeah. Did they schedule that yet? So far, the first will be May 5th. May 5th. So. Yes. Yes, that'd be nice for you. No, you can't drive in the dark and it's hard to read. So, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to consider God's rich mercy toward us. And it's good to remember that God's mercy is unlimited. It's free. There's no cost to you, but there was a cost that Jesus paid. And that's what we're going to be thinking about tonight as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's uh, Supper. You know, it's often easy to over, uh, overlook things in life until you don't have them. Maybe you've had to fast because some medical procedure doesn't allow you to eat. And you're supposed to schedule those in the morning, by the way, if you don't know that. But sometimes they say, oh yeah, come in the afternoon. It's, you know, a 24-hour fast and so you can't eat. And all of a sudden you are really, really hungry Starting as soon as you get up in the morning. Normally when you get up in the morning, you're not hungry. But on the day you're supposed to fast, you start out hungry. But you don't notice how much you miss food until somebody says, nope, you can't have it for a while. There was a time I, I was working a job at a Bible college. I did not have my own car, so I was dependent on other people for rides. And this was in Indiana. It was late. It was, it was wintertime. It was cold. Uh, I got off of work, and um, my friend, Brian, Christy knows Brian. Brian and I worked the same, same shift, so got off work together. His sister was going to drive over and pick us up, but she couldn't put me in the car because my school's rules didn't allow me to be in the car with another young lady who was not my sister. She wasn't my sister, so she was going to pick up Brian. This is Brian's sister. And Brian was going to drive her back to the dorm and then come back and pick me up. But she got delayed from her job, so we're out there shivering in the cold, shivering in the cold. Finally, the car shows up, and I can't even get in. Brian gets in the car, leaves, and I'm shivering, shivering, shivering. Boy, I was so glad to get back to a warm room. You don't know, notice these things in life until you haven't had a chance for some reason to experience them. You know, it's easy for us to overlook God's mercy to us. It, we experience it every day. The Bible says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Great is thy faithfulness. It's not as if God occasionally gives us mercy. Every day God gives us mercy, both personally, he gives me mercy, he gives you mercy. As a nation, he gives us mercy. We, we don't want justice for the United States. You understand that? We want God's mercy. And every day God gives us mercy, but it's easy to overlook it. It's right there. We're, we're receiving it. God's being good to us. It's easy to overlook it. I want to meditate for a few minutes here before we stop and examine ourselves and then observe the Lord's Supper, I want us to consider God's mercy. Father, thank you for your rich, undeserved mercy to us. Of course it's undeserved. That's, that's the nature of mercy. We don't do anything. You don't, you're not merciful to us because we're good people or because we some, you owe us. Father, you're merciful to us because of who you are, a God who is rich in mercy. And we're so thankful for that rich mercy toward us. I ask that you would guide my mind and my words through this message so that my brothers and sisters in Christ can meditate with me on your surpassing 
beyond comprehension mercy, and our hearts can be stirred to be grateful to you again. We've been grateful to you in the past for your mercy. We've thought about it in the past and said thank you. We want to think about it again tonight and say thank you for your mercy. I ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God's mercy is only expressed to those who need it. The truth is, all of us need it. In fact, people don't even realize they need it, and they need it. But the fullest, I, it's my understanding, the fullest expression of God's mercy is to those who realize they need God's mercy, ask him for it, and then receive it. Now, again, I'm receiving God's mercy all the time. Every day I receive mercy from God. But there are days when I think, wow, Father, I need your mercy, especially today. I blew it again. Forgive me. And God not only pours out his mercy on me, but he restores me to fellowship with him. And I, I, I feel or I um, understand his mercy so much better when I confess my sin, when I recognize God's rich mercy to me, than when I just blast through my day not even thinking about it. God's mercy. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins. Now verse 2, Ephesians 2, 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Look at how bad we are. What terrible situation we find ourselves in. But verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Jesus, by grace ye are saved. But he did more than that. He didn't just make us alive. Verse 6, Hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Every time I read this passage, I see again how rich God's mercy is toward us. Amen. God's mercy is rich. It's infinite. God's mercy is timeless. That's why it says that in the ages to come, and when we need God's mercy, we ought to be very grateful that his mercy is infinite. You realize when we first come to Jesus, that process that we've described as justification, we've described it as salvation, the same thing there, justification, salvation. When we first come to Jesus, we are rebels. We're on the wrong side. That's why it says, we walked in time past according to the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We were children of wrath, verse 3 says. That's where we were. And when we come to God, he doesn't say, okay, I, I might forgive you, but I'm going to put you on probation first. Yeah, thank God. Maybe you've had a job where they said, okay, now you understand the first six months you're on probation, which means they can just fire you. Even if they don't have a good reason, they can just fire you. Aren't you glad God doesn't put us on probation when we come to him? Boy, I would have blown it in the first six minutes. <laughs> God forgives me. Even though I'm on the other side, I'm on the enemy side, I'm on the rebel side, he takes me in as his child. Immediately, in a second, in an instant, we become children of God. How rich is God's mercy? God's mercy is rich. God's mercy is infinite. 
when we commit a sin that we know better to commit. We, we know better. We, we know we should not do that thing. And yet, how many times do we just barge into, crash into sin, like letting a bull into a china closet? We know better. But we say, you know, I, I'm just going to do this anyway. I, I know this sounds really cruel, really uh, demeaning, but it's just like that child, one year old, 18 months old. Don't touch that. Child just reaches out, looks right at you, reaches out and touches it. And we do that. And yet when we come to God and we say, God, please forgive me. He doesn't say, well, you're the stupid one who did that. No, he forgives us because he's rich in mercy. Even when we know better and we sin, he forgives us. I don't know about you, but there are some besetting sins that I've had to go back to God again and again and again, asking for forgiveness. And God never says to me, you know, that's the 20th time you've done that. That's the 97th time. God never does that to us, does he? Because he's rich in mercy, he forgives us. Sometimes the sins that we sin hurt God's name. They give God a bad reputation because we, people know we're his children. People know that we represent Jesus Christ and our sins hurt God's name. You remember when Nathan came, Nathan the prophet came to David to point out his sin in taking another man's wife and in killing Uriah. He says to David, and I'm reading from 2 Samuel 12, verse 14. Nathan says to David, how be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. David's sin made God look bad. Now, God doesn't bad. Don't misunderstand. God doesn't look bad. It isn't as if God is somehow brought down from his majesty and his greatness. But to the unsaved eye, to God's enemies, they say, ah, oh, look at that. He's doing it again. Look at those people. You can't trust him. I remember when we were in Mongolia and we had a missionary fellow come. He came to us uh, single. And uh, it's a very long story, but the short version is he convinced a Mongolian woman to divorce her husband so that she could marry him. And uh, then because he was associated with my well, because he was independent Baptist. I mean, you're independent Baptist, aren't you, Scott? Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, and he's independent Baptist. Yeah, he, he is. Well, then, Scott, tell me why he's doing this. Why would he try to break up a marriage? I said, I don't know. They said, but yeah, but you're independent Baptist. He's independent Baptist. I say, the most important word there is independent. <laughs> I have nothing to do with him. But, you know, we, we can't say that about God, can we? And it, it, that particular instance really dragged God's name through the mud in Mongolia. But, you know, the amazing thing, God forgives us. God forgave David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, when he killed or had Uriah killed, he murdered him. God forgives me. When I do something that drags God's name through the mud, God still forgives me because God's mercy is rich and unlimited and timeless. We can be so grateful for that. I, I'm so grateful that there really is no sin. Now, I'm not, we'll get there, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me stop. 
There is no sin that we commit that God cannot forgive. Now, there is the unpardonable sin. I'm going to set that aside tonight. We can talk about that later. But the truth is, as God's children, the truth is, as God's children, there is no sin that we can commit that God will not forgive. That, that is mind-blowing to me. Because our sin is really offensive to God. He's a holy God. It's not like he's compatriots with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I've done that before. No, God's never sinned. He doesn't even know what temptation is. And yet when I come to him and say humbly and I say, God, please forgive me, he's always ready to forgive me. God's mercy is rich because it saves us completely. It saves us completely. Just recently, Marcos and I, as we were out knocking door, met, doors, met a fella. We were trying to assess his salvation. And uh, he said he was Catholic. And our concern was, and we told him this, Marcos told him this, our, Marcos's concern was, Catholics like to say, yeah, Jesus died and he rose again, but you got to add to it. You got to do some other things. You got to do some these things and confess your sins and get these things. I don't know how Catholics figure it out, but... The truth is, Jesus paid it all. There isn't something we have to make up or something we have to add to what Jesus did. The Bible says he's able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him. Paul says that he was the chief of sinners, and yet even the chief of sinners, God forgave. The Bible says that God casts our sins into the depths of of the sea. Now don't do this. Don't do this to your spouse where you keep a record of all the bad things your spouse has done so that when you get into an argument, you can throw them in their face or in your spouse's face, right? God doesn't do that to us either, does he? Doesn't keep a big book. I mean, it'd be, it would be a really thick book, be thicker than my Bible of all the evil things I've done. You know, <sighs> on February 7th, you did this same sin. God doesn't do that to me, does he? God doesn't count him up and say, this is the 17th time. Praise God. His mercy to us is so rich. And we need to have faith. Because God is rich in mercy to us, we, we need to have faith and trust God, have faith in God, and accept his loving forgiveness. Think about a child. This is just an imaginary story, but if you've had any children or any dealings with children, you know this type of story. You have a child who has carelessly broken his mother's favorite vase. Child wasn't being childish and broke it. The child was being crazy and breaking it, right? Running through the house when he knows he's not supposed to run through the house. Now the vase is broken. And of course, because he's been wrong in his behavior, there's been some discipline. There's been some correction. There's been some rebuke. But of course, mom, dad still loves him. He's not, not a child of the family. He's still part of the family. But that child refuses to accept the parent's forgiveness and goes over into the corner and he sulks because he's been rebuked, because he's gotten in trouble. You know what? We can treat God that way. Think about it. When I come to God and I say, God, this is what I did wrong. Please forgive me. God instantly forgives me, doesn't he? I don't have to make up for it. Is there penance that I have to do? Do I have to pray a certain length of time before God really... Do I have to wait three days or five days or seven days before I'm fully forgiven? 
Now think about your own life because I've met Christians. They'll say, well, yeah, I know God's forgiven me, but I mean, I, what I did was really bad. So I'm still working through that. Well, you may be working through it, but God's not. He forgave you. Well, I can't come to church right now. I've been really messed up recently. What? God says, don't go to church for seven days after you sin? That's not what God says. Well, I just can't. You know, pastor, I'm really struggling to pray because I've got a lot of sin in my, in my past. I do too. Praise the Lord. God forgave it and I can pray instantly. I don't have to wait for a certain amount of time before I can pray again. Now, I used to feel that way. Well, God, I sinned really bad. I'm, I'm going to not ask you for anything for a few days. That isn't trusting in God's forgiveness. I'm never going to make up for whatever sin I did. So we trust God. We go to him. We confess sin. By, by the way, when, when we confess our sin to God, is he surprised? Oh, you did that? Now, I have to admit, from time to time, my child, one of my children will come to me and say, Hey, Dad, uh, you know, you told me not to do this, but I, I did it. And I say, oh, really? I didn't know. But when I come to confess my sin to God, he's never surprised. I'm never informing him of something I've done. He already knows. He's waiting for me to agree with him. Sort of like you wives wait for your husbands to agree with you. <laughs> God just wants you to agree with him. His forgiveness is instant. And I want us to understand, my wife and I were talking about this concept of a clear conscience. And to receive God's forgiveness, we don't need to think deeply about all the possible sins we might have done and confess each one. Now, there's several reasons I say that. The first, of course, is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let me give you two examples from the Bible. The first one is the thief on the cross. When the thief on the cross comes to Jesus, let's turn there so we can see it for ourselves. Uh, Luke chapter 23. When the thief on the cross comes to Jesus, he does admit that he has sinned. Luke chapter 23. And look at verse 40 with me. One of the two men crucified with Jesus is, is making fun of Jesus. Saying, if you're the Christ, get us off these crosses. And in Luke chapter 23 and verse 40, the other answering rebuked him saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. So here's the thief on the cross. He's admitting we're sinners. I mean, we deserve to be crucified. We're murderers, uh, thieves, whatever the sins are. Yes, we agree with that. But then he says to Jesus in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus says, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, well, you know, I don't think you've thought of all your sins yet. I think you need to think a little bit harder. God doesn't say that to him, does he? Think about the parable. Now, this is a parable, but I, I see it lines up with the truth of, of God's word. The publican in Luke chapter 18, you have the Pharisee who says, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. Right. And then you have the publican. What does he say? Lord, he beats on his chest. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, what's amazing. He doesn't list all his sins. The Pharisee's already done that. Right. I'm glad I'm not like this guy, an extortioner. 
and an evil person, right? He doesn't have to. He just admits that he needs God's mercy. And when we come to God, don't worry whether you have thought of all the possible sins you might have done. That's not what God needs you to do. God needs you to be honest with him and, and whatever God's brought to your mind, confess that. God, forgive me for that. Sometimes we can get the idea that if we just, what we really need to do, almost like therapy, is go way back in our past and find some sin from 11 years and three months ago. And if we could really just confess that sin, we could get forgiveness for all the rest. That's not what God teaches, is it? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when God brings a sin to your mind, confess that. Please confess that. And when you ask God to search you, often he does bring things to mind that you did not think about. But the goal is not to find every sin as if that's the key. The goal is not to find the key sin as if that's the key. The goal is to confess those things that God brings to our mind and realize we need God's mercy. Now turn with me one last place, Isaiah 53, because it can be easy for us as Christians it can be easy for us because God's forgiveness is instant and because God's forgiveness is free and because God's forgiveness is infinite. It can be too easy to treat it lightly. But while forgiveness is free to us, it cost God's son a great deal. Notice in Isaiah 53 in verse 5, Isaiah 53, 5 but he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. In other words, our chastisement was upon him. Verse 6, all we like sheep, we've gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look at that. It was our transgressions, our iniquity. It was our chastisement. We were the ones that have gone astray. And yet God gave that punishment to Jesus. And this is what we receive from him. Surely he hath borne our griefs, verse 4 says, and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. I love this, the chastisement of our peace. Why do we have peace with God? Why are we reconciled to God the Father? Because Jesus died in my place. Amazing. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Verse 7. He was taken from judgment, uh, from prison and from judgment. And for the transgression of my people was he stricken. We receive the blessing of, the result, the mercy, but Jesus Christ paid the penalty. Now, the results of God's forgiveness, John writes to his dear friends, he says, my little children, in 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. What things did he just write? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The point of forgiveness is not so that we can do it again. The point of forgiveness is so that we don't do it again. It's so we get a new start. 
How many of you have ever run track? I never did run track. Anyone here run track? Okay, you have starting blocks. Many of the, the events, the running events, they start with starting blocks. And uh, I understand you can adjust those a little bit for, for your particular needs, but the point of the starting blocks is so that you don't slip. When that gun goes off and it's time to run the race, you don't slip, you get a good start. And you know what forgiveness is? It's a starting block so we can get back to running the race. We've fallen down. We're out of the race because of our own sinfulness and our own stupidity, selfishness, frankly. And God says, listen, I'm not only going to pick you up, I'm going to give you a starting block. Let's confess this sin. Let's just admit you're wrong. And then let's move forward. Because God doesn't want us as Christians to feel guilty. The goal of the Lord's Supper is not so that you feel guilty. The goal of the Lord's Supper is not for you to feel like, wow, I am not worthy. You're not worthy. I'm, none of us are worthy. The goal of the Lord's Supper is to remind us of a God who is rich in mercy, who's taken us out of the miry clay. He's taken us out of the muck of sin. He's taken us out of the filth. He's cleaned us up. And now he's put us on the starting block and he says, okay, here's your race. Let's run it. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28 says, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And then in verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. God wants us to take time, and we'll do that in a minute before our, uh, before we, as we pass the elements. He wants us to take time to examine ourselves. To ask God, search me. Reveal to me any sin that I need to confess. When he reveals it to you, you confess it, and then guess what? You move on. Don't write them down. Don't keep track of them somewhere. Don't tell yourself, well, I, I've confessed it, but I'm not ready yet to take the Lord's Supper. I'll wait till next time. Because it's not about you earning it. It's never been about you earning anything. It's about receiving God's forgiveness. So I invite you this evening, here in a minute, as, as we bring this message to a close, as we have an invitation hymn, then later as we pass it the elements to ask God to examine you. And where you find sin, ask for forgiveness. Recognize the instant nature of God's forgiveness, the complete nature of God's forgiveness, the infinite nature of God's forgiveness. Then put your, seat, your feet in the starting blocks and use that as a catapult to run the race that he set before you. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity we have tonight to remember your son's death and burial and resurrection and coming again for us. We're so grateful that we don't have to earn your mercy or somehow attain it, get to a point where we receive it. You are rich in mercy. And, we, we, and when we were rebels, you put our punishment on your son, Jesus Christ. And you gave us his righteousness. Through chastising him, my peace with you was accomplished. And I thank you, Father. I pray for all of us this evening as we come to this important time that we remember your son's death, burial, resurrection, and coming again. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would search me, search us, where there's sin, that we would be quick to confess it, and then excited to move forward, 
May tonight's message and this opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper be a starting point, a fresh start for us in that race that you set before us. And we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.